You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia, and Psychedelia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2pm. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. Good afternoon and welcome to the show for this Sunday afternoon. Uh, not as warm as it was the other day, but, um, you know, uh, that's that's spring for you. Uh, thank you to Freedom of Species. Back next week from 1pm. If you missed something on Freedom of Species and want to hear more, head to the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au, and follow the links to the Freedom of Species program page. Uh, from there, you can subscribe to their podcast, find their website, and connect with them on social media. And the same can be done for most shows on 3CR, including our own, um, and I have been updating the podcasts. Uh, two more have been added. I've just been having some troubles with our Australian upload speeds. Uh, my name is Nick, and uh, In Psychedelia is a show about the complex interactions, complex and often controversial uh, interactions, uh, between the altered states caused by plants, synthesised chemicals and fungi that people have been using in uh, many, many different ways for thousands of years. And we seek to explore the human issues of desiring these altered states, of utilising these altered states, uh, and and learning about them, first and foremost. The policy of prohibition, prohibition is a relatively uh, recent social phenomenon in the, in, in the way that we see it today, um, only really since the 1970s in Victoria. Uh, and uh, we... Uh, 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 and we neither condone nor condemn people uh, for their choices uh, to use drugs or not. We believe that prohibition is a policy for uh, reducing uh, drug-related harms. Oh, God, I've lost myself. Uh, <laughs> sitting across from me is, uh, is Ash. How you going? Afternoon, folks. I'm good. Uh, how, how's, uh, how's the week been? What's been happening? Uh, so, well, kind of related to one of our segments today, I am helping to uh, run the sanctuary space at Burning Seed mm. Festival again this year. So that's the harm reduction space there, similar to what Dancewise do, if people are familiar with that. So I've been busy with that, mostly. That's next weekend. Uh, it starts next Wednesday. Next okay, Wednesday, open. yep. So, uh, and just for those who don't know, what is Burning Seed? Uh, so it's um, the largest Australian regional event for the... Burning Man community. So Burning Man started as a festival in the um, in the United States. Well, it actually started with some people burning a figure of a man and on know, a beach, banging drums or something at a beach. Yeah, yeah, at a beach in San Francisco, I think it was. Uh, it's kind of a experimental festival, I guess you could say. Mm. Uh, run a little bit different to other festivals. There's no commerce or markets on site, and it has a distinct set of principles which kind of guide participation. Uh, so that's next weekend. And also um, coming up is uh, Listen Out. Uh, so it's really festival season is, is kicking off. Listen Out is uh, 30,000 people in Katani Gardens in St Kilda this Friday for the grand final day public holiday. Uh, so that's going to be uh, big, interesting. Hopefully the weather is good for them. Um, and it's you know it's a lot bigger crowd than it was last year and interested to see the police operation uh, now, especially I would with, suggest, with Paul's new toys. Yeah, I would <laughs> suggest uh, expect a large sniffer dog operation. I think... Last year, possibly the year before, I've uh, filmed the police there for a little bit. They had four dogs uh, in rotation last year, I think. Yep. And this year, there is some expectation that they might be trialling their new drones to like spy on the crowd. Yeah, so that's this Friday. We'll find out what happens um, and tell you next weekend, because that's what we do. Uh, and um, on the program this afternoon, uh, actually, no, I'm going to do this. really unsmooth but um 
<laughs> on the program this afternoon, we are going to be speaking a bit later with Judy Ryan from the Victoria Street Drug Solutions Group about uh, EMSA and the, um, the the sort of un- ongoing discussions around what's going on in North Richmond. Uh, so we'll be catching up with her a little bit later. Uh, David Shoebridge, uh, the New South Wales Greens uh, member of the Legislative Council, um, will be giving us an update. Uh, you, you caught up with him when you are in New South Wales recently, Ash? Yeah, we only had time for a brief chat, so he's going to give us a very short update, but we'll catch up with him. Um, it'll make a bit more sense after the segment, but we'll catch up after uh, some of the various reports that he mentions are tabled over the next few months. And you've got one more interview for us as well that you've... Uh... Uh, and that's the one that I alluded to in regards to uh, helping out with the sanctuary space. So I spoke to a person that helps with the sanctuary space at Africa Burn, which is the South African... Burning Man regional event Um, and he also works in a needle syringe program in South Africa and for the last seven years has been doing I guess what you could call underground pill testing. So we Ooh, caught up yeah. on those three topics. Very interesting. So that's what you got coming up uh, in the program. Uh, as I said, uh, 3cr.org.au, follow us on social media and uh, find the podcast as well. Uh, make sure to subscribe to it and I will have a whole bunch of updates in your podcast app shortly um but right now some music from a uh australian band sydney band sydney based band but um last night i met uh, the the drummer um for this band dub array and um uh i must admit i have a bit of a man crush on this man he's, he's a very he's a very good looking man uh, so this is dub array so i'm gonna play play the music and continue my man crush now this is flow like water from their album the sound of prana on in psychedelia this is 3cr Thank you. 
October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com or check out our Facebook page, Blockade IMARC a 3CR supporter. Become entranced by dark and twisted soundscapes with 3CR's new weekly specialist music program, Midnight Mass, bringing you dark and forest sidetrans to the airwaves. Tune in for the driving bass lines, music reviews and guests from the local Melbourne Psytrance scene to talk electronic music production and news. Midnight Mass is on every Monday from midnight to 2am on 3CR. Hey, this is 3CR uh, 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3CR.org.au. Uh, hey, if you're interested in the psychedelic renaissance that's going on at the moment, make sure that you stay in touch uh, with the local Australian conversation. Uh, the Entheogenesis Australis YouTube channel uh, is full of talks. There's about 70 up there at the moment, more being added uh, all the time from uh, 20 years of psychedelic symposia held uh, around Melbourne and regional Victoria. Head to youtube.com forward slash entheotv. As you caught up with... Uh, David Shoebridge recently. I did. There you are. <laughs> yes, once now my microphone's on. Um, yeah, we were both speaking at the uh, New South Wales Users and AIDS Association Peers and Consumers Forum a couple of weeks back, and he had to rush off, but I managed to grab him just for a few minutes to get a quick update for us. Um, there's a lot happening in New South Wales, so mm. a lot of people were hopeful for a Labor Party win there as they had pledged to hold a drug summit where everything was on the table, including decriminalisation. Um, that didn't happen. And so, um, you know, obviously we've still got the Berejiklian government, still the same kind of law and order approach, but they're under a lot of pressure. Um, they're under a lot of pressure through the coronial inquest that's been happening into festival deaths where testimony has consistently mm. highlighted the problematic nature of the way they do and they policing keep, them. they keep trying to rig it so that it's like, oh, we'll get our people to say that we're not the problem. Like, we'll choose some well, experts that yeah, convenience I, us. I mean, I think they're sweating on it. The, the police commissioner, I think it's Mike Fuller's his name, um, he, he kind of attacked the testimony of a person oh. that... He claimed they were an anonymous witness, which they weren't. They, they, they were just, their name was just suppressed by the court. That's different to being anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when they kind of start attacking like that, I think they're starting to feel the heat. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's uh, several, so there's also an ICE inquiry happening right now. There's an inquiry that's happening uh, by a group called, um, I think they're called LEC or something. They're, they're like the police oversight body. So they're, they're, 
they're doing a separate report. I think Sydney University's done a report on this. So there's a range of uh, kind of official processes that are happening in New South Wales, and they're all consistently saying the same thing, that New South Wales police and the way that they do policing are a problem right now. Mm. Um, so we've, we've got a bit of an update from David Shoebridge, and we'll, we'll get into that now and then maybe talk a bit about it after. Uh, also follow the Sniff Off page and Twitter account on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, that comes out of David Shoebridge's office, and it is... Uh, uh, keeping a lot of information on the sniffer dogs uh, in New South Wales, which you'll find in all sorts of places, train stations, uh, at your local pub, uh, at, and they at, recently, at the ski fields. Well, and they recently um, caught an off-duty police officer with cocaine Whoops. at uh, Star Casino. They were meant to not go in at that time. <laughs> Here's David Shoebridge. This is Ash at the New Appears and Consumers Forum, and I'm here with David Shoebridge, MLC for the Upper House in New South Wales and the New South Wales Greens Justice Spokesperson. Welcome back to Encyclopedia. Uh, pleasure, Ash. I always like Greens MP. It sounds more simple. Okay. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, so we've, we've just got a quick moment. You've got to rush out back to budget estimates, but you have been grilling the police over the last couple of weeks on the Sniffer Dog program and um, what's happening in the music festival space. Could you give us a snappy update on, on where things are at and where the line of some of that questioning mm. and the coronial inquest and you know, movements that are happening in New South Wales? Well, I don't think there's any doubt that the police in New South Wales are really sensitive to the criticism, now very broad criticism they're getting for the uh, overuse of their strip search powers. And, and, and you know, you, you can talk to people from across the political spectrum and they're troubled by the fact that police, the number of strip searches done by police has skyrocketed. But to get a, a sense for how sensitive they were, in the budget estimates hearing from just last week, when I, I put to the police that there's been this surge in strip searches. And I use the data that the Redfern Legal Centre have got from the Ombudsman and from my office, um, which largely comes from police, um, that, that, that showed that strip searches had increased from some 277 strip searches in 2007 up to more than 5,500 in the last year. And that was a 20-fold increase. The police commissioner came back very aggressively, um, almost yelling at me, um, saying that, that that data was wrong, that the Redfern Legal Centre had, had the figures wrong from 2007, and that it wasn't 177 searches, it was between 800 and 1,000 searches. And um, when I put that to him, that his best defence was there's been a five-fold increase, you know, a five-fold increase in strip searches instead of a 20-fold increase, um, you know, how is that a defence at all? Um, he was just extremely angry and defensive. Um, I think when you when you see the police primed to discredit a critique like that, then, then you know you're winning. You know that they're very sensitive. And and anyone in the budget estimates would have thought the police came off very badly, I think, in that exchange. It's like that old saying, first they ignore you, then they fight you. Well, they're starting to fight you, right? Yeah, and more broadly, fighting those people in the community who are standing up against strip searches. And that brings us to the second point, where the, in that same hearing, the police commissioner tried to discredit a young woman who gave evidence in a coronial investigation into music deaths at music festivals. And that young woman gave evidence about how when she'd been strip-searched at a music festival, the police had said to her, you can either show us where the drugs are, she didn't have any drugs on her, um, alleging that the drug dog was infallible, and we know they're not, um, you can either show us the drug dogs or we can make this strip-search nice and slow as a kind of intimidatory thing. She obviously was quite distraught by that. She gave very compelling evidence at the coronial court, but her name was the subject of a non-publication order because it's obviously very 
you know, she felt quite traumatised and you're well within your rights to, to not have your identity disclosed in a coronial trial. The, the police commissioner responded by aggressively attacking that young woman for having given, in his words, anonymous evidence and not allowing the police to investigate it. Well, first of all, it wasn't anonymous. I mean, she gave her name to the coroner's court and the coroner's court made a non-publication order. And secondly, the police commissioner was actually represented in those coronial hearings, like had a barrister and a whole legal team there mm. and either would have known her name because it would have been told before there was a non-publication order made to the council or would have been able to find it with a simple query to the, to the coroner. And so, but instead of addressing the appalling police behaviour, which that woman's evidence gives a fairly compelling example of, the police commissioner again trying to discredit the opponents, discredit those people critiquing the police. And those two incidents in the one budget estimate says, I think, that how sensitive they are and it's pretty good evidence that we're winning the argument. Do we have time for another question or two? Uh, yeah, I have time for one more question, then I really one more do question. have to run. Yeah. Okay, so um, <clears throat> just at the end of the panel that we, we just heard, you mentioned some of the things coming up over the next six months. Do you want to run us through what the next six months looks like and, and how they're the opportunities that we have within Yeah, that? well, you know, here I'm talking with very much my New South Wales um, hat on as a state MP here. In the, in the next month or so, we're going to see the coronial report delivered about those music festival deaths, which I imagine will be very critical of policing behaviour um, and really question the use of drug dogs and, and query whether or not pill testing and alternative approaches to, to um, dealing with um, regulating drugs at music festivals are appropriate. That's going to be, a, I think, a really clear opportunity to, to push the envelope. That's going to then be followed up fairly, I would imagine, soon after that by a report <coughs> pardon me, by the Law Enforcement Conduct Committee, Commission, which is the police oversight body in New South Wales. They've been doing a fairly long-running research in, and, and review of police strip search powers in New South Wales. I can't imagine how that report could be anything other than very caustic of police practice, which is um, appallingly unregulated, largely illegal. Um, and then in January of next year, we're going to see the reporting from the Special Commission of Inquiry into um, ICE and, um, and drug addiction, um, especially in regional New South Wales. Those three reports, I think, will all create um, significant opportunities to advocate for drug law reform, to advocate for reducing police discretionary powers, and, and, and maybe, maybe, together will lead to, a, I'm hoping, a fairly seismic shift in the political discussion so that what's been discussed in Parliament mirrors what's been discussed in the community mm. about decriminalisation, legalisation and, and police powers. Well, let's hope so. Um, thanks again for joining us on Encyclopedia. Cheers, Ash. Good speaking. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid, tune into the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools. 12pm on Saturdays here on 3CR. 855 and AM Dial podcast streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it.
and Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. My name's Nick, sitting across from me is Ash. And uh, joining us in the studio um, this afternoon is uh, Judy Ryan uh, from the Victoria Street Drug Solutions Group. Judy, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks, Nick, and hi, Ash. Hey mate, good to see you again Very as good always. Good to see you too. So Victoria Street Drug Solutions, you're in your third year now of um, of uh, being an organisation. Just for anybody that uh, needs an update on what you do, um, just give us a quick rundown. What's yeah, Victoria thanks, Street Nick. Drug Solutions. Thanks Nick. So our residents for Victoria Street Drug Solutions formed uh, in about October 2016. So we've been in operation now in the community for three years. Um, and we had four key objectives when we when we set up our association. Uh, the first one was community education, uh, and we ran monthly um, meetings for the public in a warehouse throughout late 2016, 27, and early 2018. Uh, the other three key objectives were that we wanted to save lives in our community. We wanted to reduce the call-outs to our very precious emergency services. And the fourth one was to improve the amenity of our long-suffering and fragile community around North Richmond and South Abbotsford. Um, we always had a bit of a long-game view of this, these objectives, particularly the improved amenity, uh, but you have to start somewhere. And the very first place to start for us was to lobby for a medically supervised injecting room and addressing an elephant in the room, which had not been acknowledged for many Decades. years. By, well, yeah. that's right, correct. So the um, <clears throat> from, I guess, mine and probably Nick's perspective of being in the drug policy space for a little while, the, the thing when this issue was spoken about, the easy catch cry for politicians and policymakers were the residents don't want it. So mm. having a residence group specifically come up to say, yes, we do, mm. kind of took the last arrow out of their quiver, mm. so to say. Um, so you were successful in, in lobbying for it and ended up kind of being some of the key spokespeople that, that helped bring it forward. But since then, there, there's a bit more tension at the moment in the community. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, how things are currently? Look, I'm very happy to do that, but just also a reminder that we are 100% independent. We're not funded by any public organisation or a po political party. You're not a puppet org. Is we're not a puppet. Yeah. We're completely off the leash. Sausage sizzles, movie nights and things like that, that's where we get our funding from. And it's a very powerful position to be in. And what you were talking about, Ash, about the government realising that we're in this space, the other body that recognised that was the coroner's court. Mm. And they had contacted us in our, early, um, in our early days asking us to make a submission on the impact on residents at 2016, the uh, inquest into mm. the death of Miss A. And because we were the missing voice. So you're absolutely right. Um, so look, we always knew that this was a very complex issue and potentially uh, going to cause uh, discussion and so it should in the community um, and I was also alerted to that by a similar group to ours who that existed in um, in around Potts Point when the Sydney injecting room opened so they said that's what will happen and it is exactly what's happened um, so I think um, how we feel about it is that it is a two-year trial and, uh, and it's doing exactly what a trial should do. So what we see is, uh, particularly from a, the government's perspective, tweaking uh, aspects of the, of the 
injecting room operations like extending the hours, looking at the policing of the of the uh, centre in terms of dealers and users. And that includes developing a diversion program where the police work with some of the outreach workers from the injecting room to encourage them to use the centre. I mean, obviously, the more people that use the centre, and there are many currently at 300 a day, supervised injections. And has that gone up since they got the standalone facility? That's right. That's right. So that's increased. But there are injections that don't that no longer happen in our laneways and, mm. and carports. And, and also, I think... Um, People, we never said this was a silver bullet. We knew that this was going to take a long time for it to be bettered down and also to get the confidence of the people that are using illegal substances. Mm. So for them to have a leap of faith from injecting in my laneway to actually taking their substance into a, a supervised facility was just something that it does take time. And there are the still people shift, that are... Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, you've got 30 or 40 years of generations mm. of people. Um, it's going to take time, care and support from mm. a community. Now, you know, people, and we're all in the, uh, in the um, uh, front line here, but a lot of people are inclined to suggest that there haven't been improvements in the public amenity, and I would absolutely disagree mm. about that. So, are you, <clears throat> so I went to several of the, the monthly meetings that you had leading up to the establishment of the centre. Are you still doing that education role in the community now that the centre's open? Uh, we haven't since last year. Um, so we thought we would just wait for the, the pilot to open and just see how things um how things were rolled out. We are considering restarting them again. Um, they won't be held at a pub. Uh, we don't like pubs as, as uh, venues for for meetings. We'd rather, you know, somewhere really um, uh, like a, a warehouse or something mm, like yeah. that. Uh, that's very important. But uh, we we feel um, what's happened too is that the really four key pillars of our community need a lot of support. Mm. The, the uh, estate, the public housing estate, which houses 7,000 people, which is mm. extraordinary. It's the biggest estate in Australia, public housing estate. The North Richmond Community Health Centre, which has been doing remarkable work for years in uh, keeping us healthy and well. The injecting room, of course, as a new pilot program um, finding its way. And also the really important one is the Rich Richmond West Primary School. And, and what you're talking about there as well, uh, you, you said earlier that this is a complex problem and there's been so much focus on the injecting room itself mm. um, that it takes away, it detracts from conversations about all the other things uh, that need work. Because as you say, it's not gonna, it was never going to be a silver bullet to have that injecting room. There's a lot of work. There's cultural shifts that need to happen yeah. in a, in a um, very much marginalised subculture that's using illicit substances uh, and also um, in the local area with the traders, with the community, with the residents of the um, uh, of the flats. There's a lot that needs to be done, but as, as you say, you, you're focusing on uh, on different aspects of it. Um, now, I, I know that um, you, you've got a few ideas about some improvements that could be made um, in the area. What, what are some ideas uh, to, to sort of improve the amenity and, and, and address some of the things that are going on? Sure. So um, one of the things we're looking at and uh, doing some work on based on evidence, all evidence-based and what they do overseas, is perhaps an after-use drop-in centre for people who leave the centre. Um, now, you know, there's no policing of people when they leave the centre. And one of the issues that's come up through the, through the trial is that there's... 
as people have been a bit unhappy about the congregating of people who are leaving the centre. So we're looking at how they do manage that issue in places like Canada. Yeah. Um, the other one was, of course, extending the hours of operation, and that's going to be really important uh, coming up to the warmer months. Um, as we know, people are injecting later into the evening because of the daylight savings. So we're looking at possibly uh, encouraging the department to to support the injecting room to open for um, extended periods. Um, also, uh, the drug law reform report that was tabled in the Victorian Parliament in uh, 2018 had a recommendation for the implementation of a trial of a hydromorphone um, program, which is for people, and I'm non-medical, and uh, so I had to write this down what it is, but mm. it's a, an opioid substitution therapy program. And it uh, it had cross-party support and was a major recommendation of that. Of that um, and, and it's running in other parts of the world uh, right. successfully. I think Sweden, Correct. was it? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and it's we already do opiate substitution therapy for people that yes, are on opiates. That's right. Um, well, there's a methadone program. So exactly. we're already doing, doing that. So we think that that would... There's a couple of re benefits of that, obviously, in rehabilitation, but also dealing or managing some of the dealers too, because if we can get people not having to bring illicit substances into the into the centre where they'll mm. be on this program would be very helpful. That would be another another um, solution to some of these issues that yeah. are arising. Yeah, uh, I, I mean anybody that's been down Victoria Street, it's fairly obvious that public public dealing. Is happening. Oh, absolutely. The injecting room didn't change that, but it was happening before then. Like yes. I used to work on the corner. You walk down there, and it's it's blatant. And yes. um, uh, I mean, that's the sort of thing that we're talking about. Changing this this culture around there, it's, it, it takes a while, and it is a bit of a, a bit of trust as well. Mm. Um, so it's it's yeah. hard. But there are some good things going on. Um, even uh, building uh, community around the the uh, residents. Uh, flats? Yes, that's right. Look, just a couple of things too. Our um, residence for Victoria Street Drug Solutions has been uh, busy with doing a few things in the community and one of the biggest things and hopefully dealing with the the focus on North Richmond, which I think is a bit unfair that, you know, it's become such a, um, you know, under the spotlight. But that's for us to discuss injecting rooms across metro area and indeed regional Victoria. Yep. Mm. So I've been talking to people from Hoppers Crossing, Footscray, St Kilda, Frankston, yep. Dandenong. Yep. These people, mm -hmm. Nick and Ash, are calling out for this sort of support, well, these health centres, and mm. that will surely take some of the, the pressure off what we're experiencing in North Richmond. Because one of the issues in, in North Richmond is that people, the people that are there aren't necessarily local. In fact, oh. people are coming from all across the state. And that and has always been always the case. That's done right. that, exactly. Yes. So um, you know, it's it's not just that people inject in North Richmond. There are people who inject drugs all across the state, uh, and um, they need support. That's it's it's really as simple as that. Yeah, right. um, the original plan back in the late '90s was to have five centres that they, they'd already been kind of planned and and sort of established where they were going to be in line with exactly what you're suggesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Back in November 2017, the independent senator, Canadian senator Larry Campbell 
was visiting Melbourne and he was the mayor of Vancouver when they introduced their first injecting room. And he told me when he was in Melbourne that um, when they established that first one, they should have established five at the same mm-hmm. time. Yep. And now I totally understand what he me- meant by that. And we should have too. But of course, we were so grateful in many respects just to get one. Yeah. But really, the the need is is very broad. And, and I really feel sorry for people living in regional Victoria that really have very few places to go. But, of course, the government also announced that it would be extending uh, funding for extra rehab services, which are sorely needed across the sector. So they're also, I mean, clearly... Um, solutions to this issue. We want to get people in there and who want to get off their addiction to give them the support that they need. Uh, Now, we're just about out of time, but uh, you're heading down to North Richmond tonight. There's something going on. Look, there is. Look, we're so excited to be part of the preparation for the um, Moon Lantern Festival. It's Mm. being held tonight in Victoria Street from 5 o'clock till 8 o'clock. Last Saturday, we cooked a big halal barbecue, our residence group for the people of the estate who made beautiful lanterns. So we're bringing joy and hope and renewal to our to our community, and so I'd really encourage the broader community, your listeners, to get down there if they'd feel like being part of such a uh, traditional and iconic festival in our in our community. It's always fun, Lantern Parade, and hey, it might even be slightly wintry for it, yes. considering Lantern Parade is a very wintry thing. Hey, Judy, thanks for coming on and updating us on what's going on, and good luck with the uh, with the ongoing discussions. I um, I, I think. You're right. It's all about communication. It's it's about everybody needs to get together and talk and collaborate and work together. It's a complex problem. And no uh, people trying to say, oh, we'll just do this and then ignore it or um, marginalise people again. So thank you, Judy. Thanks for the opportunity and happy to come on any time. Uh, this is in Psychedelia on 3CR. Um, if you want to find out more about the Victoria Street Drug Solutions Group, the website is vicstreetdrugsolutions.org. Uh, you can also find them on Facebook and I think Twitter. Are you on Twitter as well? Yes. Yeah, and Twitter as well. Yeah. So you can find them there. Uh, right now, uh, Cat Empire um, Barricades. It's from their latest album, Stolen Diamonds. It was released earlier this year. This is the Cat Empire on 3CR.
in a warehouse in Marrickville in Sydney and we've just had the Students for Sensible Drug Policy Australia hosted event for International Overdose Awareness Day and we had a range of talks, uh, heard from a range of speakers and one of those is a guest that I'm going to have a chat with now named MJ. MJ is the Harm Reduction Coordinator at Africa Burn, a regional Burning Man event uh, held in South Africa. He also works on a needle syringe program called Step Up, um, doing harm reduction work there. And for the last six or seven years has uh, helped to found and run a grassroots substance analysis program in South Africa. Yeah. Welcome to Encyclopedia. Thanks, Ash. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been amazing to meet everyone here. It's my, my second time in Australia. So, yeah, it's been fantastic to be here. I've met guys like you and everyone else here. It's a really awesome community of people who are passionate about changing the narrative and just you know, destigmatizing drug use. So it's been fantastic. And so what's been your experience um, having a good understanding of harm reduction work in South Africa to come yeah. and see how we do it here? What, is, what have been the key insights for you there? Yeah, so there's some really amazing people working in South Africa, but a lot of the harm reduction work is still in its infancy. 
which is sad, but it's also exciting. You know, there's so much opportunity for growth. So one of our main focuses was, yeah, to come and see the NSPs around here and see kind of the structure and organization of how they're running the sites and also the resources they have, you know, like the lock zone. For instance, at you know, Curtin Road, it's readily available. In South Africa, it's, really, it's difficult to obtain the lock zone. And right. Yeah, so I mean, I'm kind of just, yeah, soaking up as much information as I can, looking at the different needle and syringes you guys have, resources, how things are run. Um, obviously, South Africa is a very different context, but you know, the structures that are in place here, I think, are really amazing. You know? And as you were saying, like, guys are one of the first people to roll out the NSPs here. So. And so tell us a bit about what it's like working in an NSP program, and that's needle syringe program yeah. um, in South Africa. Yeah, you know, it's it's tricky because of our because of our um, legal history and racial segregation. There's so much stigma and you know just kind of racism still that exists. So you're operating within this space of drug users, but also in a racial sector of that, which is really tricky. So me as a privileged white person. Working at this needle, needle and syringe program has been just an incredible experience, you know. Besides all the harm reduction services and materials we provide, it's connecting with these people that have been treated less than human. You know, that, for me, that's one of the main things that I've really, I've really enjoyed. And, yeah, I mean, the, the program's still in its infancy. It's really small. Um, there's currently, I think, around about 40 people on the OST, the field substitution therapy program. 40 people. 40 people. That's all. That's all. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So just for context, I think we have about just under 16,000 just in Victoria in yeah. my home state. Oh wow, that's incredible. You see, those are kind of the things I'm wanting to come here and learn how to expand that kind of program. There are a lot of amazing people working back home, Sean Shelley, Andrew Shire, who are doing fantastic work to kind of promote this. But um, yeah, you know, I think it's, it's the time's right to kind of push this and expand it as much as we can because people need these services you know and there's so much research and data which shows how effective these services can be so turning a blind eye to it is kind of silly. So one of the reasons that we did roll out the yeah. needle and syringe programs in the way that we did in Australia was to try and get an early intervention into the HIV crisis. Yeah. So we it was a targeted program and that's still the context in which a lot of our harm reduction services yeah. operate even though they've expanded. Yeah. So I know that um, rolling out effective HIV treatment and um, treatment for AIDS in yeah. South Africa has been difficult over the last couple yeah. of decades. Yeah. How has that gone in the drug using community in yeah. terms of um, how that functions within your NSP programs there? Yeah, so that's obviously one of the main, main objectives to reduce the rates of HIV transmission, hep C, hep B. Um, I think you know, Andrew Scheib just published a paper now which, you know, the stats are, we have roughly like, I think it's like 20 odd, 20 odd million people in Southern Africa who are HIV positive and equally high numbers of people who are H, uh, hepatitis B and hepatitis C affected. So that's definitely one of the main aims. Um, yeah, it's, it's obviously a core concern for us, you know, that's one of the things we try to address. But if I can change topic a bit, there's a new kind of, there's been a, a few articles and research public now published which kind of suggest that people are smoking antiretrovirals and wow, okay. that's and in, that's, we have a, a substance by the name back home called Wunga or Unga or Nayope you might have come across and there's many, plenty of media reports which suggest that people are cutting heroin with 
antiretrovirals, amongst other things. So that and, and is that? Do you think that's true? Because we get a lot of misreporting of things in our media related to drugs yeah. here. So I don't have any like qualitative data on it or quantitative data on it, but there has been one paper published which analysed a number of samples and they did find trace amounts in only a few of the samples that they analysed. Um, but I think it's a bit of cherry picking to pull that those a, those trace amounts of ARVs out from all the other adulterants that are in there. You know, there's benzodiazepines, there's caffeine, there's a bunch of other things. You know, so that's the media's kind of jumped onto that quite a bit, and that's. So you would say. Um is the heroin market in South Africa quite adulterated then? Like yes. it's frequently cut with yeah. other things? It is, you know, other people would be able to maybe speak better to this than me, but yeah, generally our heroin is pretty adulterated. Right. Um, and it's adulterated. So it's maybe a factor of that rather than... Yeah, yeah, exactly, you know. And, um, but yeah, there's been a few reports which have come out now which, you know, track the, 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 the trade routes of heroin and it's coming from Tanzania. You know, I've heard reports of there being relatively pure heroin in Tanzania, so I'm sure it is coming to South Africa. It's just for me personally, the people who I've come in contact with and the research that I've seen has shown that it is highly adulterated. Yeah. Um, so changing tack a little bit, yeah. I want to come to the drug testing analysis yeah. in a bit, but um, could you maybe tell us about the harm reduction work that you do as part of Africa Burn and what that looks like? Yeah, so with Africa Burn we kind of have there's two aspects to it. So we'll have the sanctuary, which is kind of like a safe space for people having difficult experiences. And now these are not just difficult experiences related to substance use. You know, Africa Burn, it's a really intense environment. You know, you're out in the desert, it's cold, it's hot. You're there for a long time. Radical self-reliance, you know, you have to fend for yourself. So we provide a service where it's a safe space for people having difficult experiences, psychologically challenging experiences, regardless if they consume the substance, you know. Mm -hmm. Interpersonal dynamics, maybe there's a fight at the camp. You know, this can all trigger challenging experiences. So we kind of have this safe space um, called the Sanctuary, and it's run by Catherine Williams, mm -hmm. a good friend of mine. Um, and then another aspect which we introduced last year um, is the harm reduction hub. So that's that's kind of our substance analysis facility there. So on site we had reagent testing and thermal chromatography. And this this service isn't publicly advertised, but um, within the event we do a few workshops and trainings and people know that the service is available so last year we had roughly 300 samples analyzed mm -hmm. um, and I think there's maybe between nine and ten thousand people attending so we mm -hmm. thought that was pretty good you know not publicly advertising the service and yeah it's been fantastic and although and what sort of things have you found doing the testing there yeah, so a lot of the time what we were finding was that international visitors who would come and purchase substances in the city, um, they were being sold misrepresented drugs. So they would think they were buying MDMA and it was actually being sold, it was actually methamphetamine. So that was one thing we could rule out. Um, another thing which we focused on was acknowledging the limitations of reagent drug chasing, but changing the view that you know bringing people in and testing their substance is an opportunity for us to engage about you know reducing the risk when using certain substances. So they're there in that space um, which we think is fantastic, you know, even if, you know, the reagent tests are limited and so is the linear chromatography, it provides us uh, with an opportunity to engage with uh, attendees and chat to them about a variety of things, you know, and we have such an amazing team where there's psychiatrists, psychologists, different kind of practitioners, you know, all readily available. So if anyone needs referral or anything, we can always address that. So that's, mm -hmm. that was one of the amazing things. We also, this year, had a big focus on consent. You know, it's a worldwide issue, especially in party or nightlife settings or events, math gatherings. So that's been 
I haven't been personally involved in that, but a lot of my colleagues have been doing such fantastic work and just changing the narrative around that, emphasizing how important consent is. Now, the underground broader substance analysis that you've yeah. been doing, that's very interesting to me. For um, sure. So do you maybe want to talk about how you got started with that and, and yeah. how it's led to where it is now? Yeah, sure. So yeah, I have a chemistry background. I studied environmental chemistry so I've, and personally I've always had an interest in substances. Um, yeah, a variety of different substances and I also grew up going to parties so this was kind of where I was involved in and yeah, I'm a bit of a, a geek myself so I love following what other people are doing around the world and yeah, I read about a lot of people doing substance testing and you know, it made me curious, you know, people in South Africa were consuming substances without knowledge of what they are, going to the word of dealers mm-hmm. and yeah, so then maybe about six years ago I started doing it at festivals, just kind of with the medical facility. Um, I have friends who, who are the medics at festivals, so you know, if the substance got confiscated or if someone was reported selling anything dodgy, or if we had someone come to the medics or the care space which presented certain substance, I mean certain symptoms and they had taken a specific pill or substance, then we would try to track that down and look at it. So you started as a collaboration with the medical yeah, yeah. yeah, so they've been a massive help, you know, and a lot of the festival organizers have been all for it, although I do understand their predicament, it's, it's quite tricky. Um, but yeah, you know, like... Sort of about police. Yeah, so... Because here, here in our emergency kind of yeah. management facilities and yeah. festivals, it's usually a harm reduction service, a medical team, and police yeah. are in the same yeah. vicinity. So we have a challenge that we can't operate a service like that without police consent. Yeah. I mean, it's a definite risk, you know, and I can openly say that, you know, a lot of the things I have done aren't sanctioned, aren't maybe on legal, there haven't, there haven't been any prosecutions for people providing drug checking, you know, so I don't know, I'm also of the opinion that you know, if the service is needed, like if someone's going to prosecute me for trying to help someone to reduce harm to another human being, then there must be something seriously messed up with them all. So I know it's I know the risk involved with what I'm doing and I'm still willing to operate. And Have you had like conversations with police where they're aware of what you're doing? So yeah, I mean, this year, uh, last year in Africa Burn, we I engaged with a lot of the um, people involved in the health sector in the Northern Cape, and with some police, but not specifically showing them what we're doing, but just kind of educating them on the type of methods and techniques we're using, because a lot of our police will use reagent tests when they, you know, uh, confiscate a substance and stuff. So I try to frame it more in that angle instead of, you know, openly having people come to the service while they were there. So I kind of just express to them, these are this is what we're doing. Um, these are the kind of techniques we're using, um, but it is a, it's a very tricky area, you know. It's, uh, I don't know what the alternative is. We do try and engage with police as often as possible, and they are. They don't, they don't hinder your operation. No, they they haven't. They haven't. I've never had any problems. I've also done like little pop-up stalls of drug testing, and you know, I, I'm I acknowledge the risks and I'm willing to do it. And yeah, I guess I'm still there and haven't got in any trouble yet, so that's still fine for me. But. Yeah, this uh, last year was actually really interesting. We developed a really close relationship with the medical facility and the synergy between us was just fantastic. So, for instance, they had a case in the medical facility where someone was unconscious and presenting quite severe symptoms and and they managed to track down the substance that that person had ingested. Obviously, there was like polypharmacy involved, but this substance they kind of like thought would be like the main cause of it. So, 
yeah, so we managed to track down the pill and it actually turned out to be methacrylone, Mandrax. So someone had taken orally a large Mandrax pill and yeah, so that's, I really enjoyed that, you know, the synergy between kind of harm reduction side and the medical side really just working together to uh, put the safety first of the festival attendees. For me, that was like the best part. Yeah. So we also spoke a little bit about um, the courts in yeah. South Africa and, and yeah. what's happened with the DACA couple yeah. and, and broader drug policy yeah. kind of things happening yeah. at that meta scale. What yeah. do you think of, you know, the, yeah, I the mean, things that have been happening and the direction things are going yeah. and that stuff? Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm definitely no legal expert and I have colleagues who are really heavily invested in this kind of work. Um, so yeah, I can only admire the work they're doing. It's just, I do advocate for a strong social justice component, you know, especially with regards to legalizing substances. For instance, you know, the legalization of cannabis, you know, the people, if that industry does grow in the future, people who are marginalized and disadvantaged need to be included in that growth. You know, they can't be just excluded and still prosecuted for things like that. And the same goes for psychedelics, you know, there's a strong group of people in South Africa, you know, preempting the approval worldwide of you know, psychedelic therapy. So that's that's also something that I'm I'm very strongly towards the social justice social justice aspect where people have already been treated like shit in South Africa for a long, long time and you know, legalizing and regulating a certain substance, whether it's a psychedelic or cannabis, can't be to the detriment of other substances and the people that use those substances. So, I mean, I don't know what the, what the answer is and what the best approach is, but uh, that's just my opinion that <laughs> has to be considered. And drug policy across Af Africa more broadly, like how, yeah. how is that looking? Is that the sorts of things that you're involved with now, expanding yeah. the fringe programs? Yeah. So, um, so I'm not actively involved in that within Africa. Like, Africa is huge and extremely diverse, but I'm involved with an organisation called Youth Rise, which is like a peer-led harm reduction organisation, and. I know Youth Rise Nigeria are doing an amazing work. They, yeah, they do amazing work with the government. Know and, those guys. You know those guys. Yeah, they do incredible work. You know, and I spoke to spoke to a colleague there, and they're also looking to roll out NSPs in Nigeria and stuff. And I know there's definitely other activists and workers in other countries in Africa doing work, but I can't I can't name off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah, but it is something that um, it's not unique to South Africa. No, no, no. Getting more legitimacy. Yeah, no, it's definitely not unique to South Africa, and there's people doing incredible work in other countries in Africa, for sure. Yeah. Anything else you want to add? No, just thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for it's been amazing to meet you, and yeah, hopefully we get to meet again in Africa Burn next year. It'll be fantastic yeah. to have you there. All right, um, thanks for joining us on Encyclopedia. Cool. Thank you very much. Cheers, man. And that was MJ from South Africa at the International Overdose Awareness Day event in Sydney uh, just a couple of weeks back. This is In Psychedelia on 3CR, and we're just about out of time for this afternoon's show. Uh, it is a short week this week. Don't forget the uh, ancient and traditional holiday of having the day off for a footy game is happening on Friday. This has been a 3CR podcast. You can hear In Psychedelia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.